everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hello everyone, it's Brandon. Welcome back to another Turbo. I want to talk today about the different ways you can go about placing a central line into the subclavian vein. Now, subclavian is kind of one of the three classic big targets for central lines, uh, meaning the IJ, the subclavian, and the femoral. Of course, they all have benefits and drawbacks, but you know, for a lot of us who are pretty comfortable with vascular access, I think many of us feel the subclavian, all things being equal, is kind of the ultimate line. You know, the main drawbacks are mechanical related to the placement itself. There is some risk of pneumothorax. Of course, there's risk of arterial puncture, which applies to any line, but these are things that can be easily mitigated by the operator. So if you're somebody who is pretty good at placing lines and therefore these risks are minimal, uh, subclavian's a pretty great line to place. It clearly has the least risk of infection down the road. It's very comfortable. Um, It's kind of easy to maintain. Once it's in, it's just a good line. Uh, there's maybe some risk in certain settings for uh, stenosis, which can cause issues with dialysis access, but they're great lines. How do you actually place them? Let me break down kind of a handful of approaches to these. There are probably more ways of going about this than for some of the other sites. Starting with the oldest and maybe most classic which would be the blind or landmark guided approach, i.e. without an ultrasound. This, uh, back in the day, is how these were all done. And really, there was a a prolonged period of time, and I'm not that old, but even I remember early on, this is still how most people felt. A lot of people thought you couldn't use an ultrasound to place a subclavian. And this is kind of an understandable misunderstanding if you look at how these are done. To do these blind... You insert your needle at a very flat axis until you hit the clavicle, and then you just barely work your way under the clavicle, and you usually use the bone itself as a landmark to find your vein. You can't use an ultrasound for this approach, with maybe an exception we'll get into, but you just can't penetrate bone with an ultrasound beam. So you really can't see where you're going if this is where you're hitting the vessel. So you have to use landmarks, and it does work pretty well for that purpose. Like any landmark-guided technique, the benefit is that it's awfully quick. It doesn't feel like it takes that long to use an ultrasound for a line, uh, but it adds up. You got to get the machine, you got to set it up, you got to cover it with a probe cover, etc. If you can just bang out a quick blind subclavian, that's a really quick procedure. Now, the downside is that, like any ultrasound versus blind access, if you don't get it right away, then it's not faster. And in fact, it may take you much, much longer, or perhaps you never get it at all. And this only gets worse over time because the people who are really good at placing these blind are becoming fewer and fewer. It's becoming kind of a dated technique. And I say that not disparagingly, but only because 
you have to do a lot of these to get pretty good at it. It's not that hard to learn the basic technique, but it's one of those things, um, you know, lumbar punctures are another great example where two people could both describe how they do them and they'll describe them the same, but one of them gets it almost every time pretty quickly and the other person not so much. Uh, there is some real finesse to it and you have to do a lot of them. And, you know, for some people, they're just not comfortable doing these anymore, mostly because of the concern for pneumothorax. And those who do them may be more comfortable doing them under ultrasound because that's how they're doing most of their lines. No one hardly at all is doing blind IJs anymore, uh, blind femoral lines a bit more, but just in general, we've all gotten so adapted to using ultrasound guidance for uh, a plethora of procedures. That's kind of where our comfort zone is for those of a, a more modern generation. So if you never get that comfort, you get a, a kind of positive feedback loop here. So it's a very valid technique, and there's a lot to be said for it, and there's always this question of, oh, what if you don't have an ultrasound machine, but kind of becoming more and more rare. What about using the ultrasound? Now, you get into a, a, a range of options here. We'll start with the one that I think is still the most common, and it is my preferred approach, and it's probably the most straightforward. This is the lateral, ultrasound-guided subclavian, really it's going into the axillary vein. If you kind of look at where those two vessels are delineated, of course it's all the same vessel though, but it's a much more lateral site. And typically I would use an out-of-plane or transverse view of my needle for this. All you're doing is moving out laterally from where you would have placed a landmark-guided line and the vessel kind of swoops out here so it gets out from under the clavicle. So you avoid this issue where you can't see through the bone because you don't need to. You're hitting the vessel where it's free of the clavicle. Now, this requires pretty good familiarity with ultrasound guidance. And this is because you are giving away the inherent safety features of the blind approach. What do I mean? The reason why you can generally place these blind without hitting a lung, and of course there's always a percent chance, but by and large you can do that, even though the lung is really very close, is because using a very flat angle, which is how you should be doing it, you're not pointing at the lung. You're kind of moving parallel to it. When you move laterally towards the axillary vein, you're not doing that. You're actually aiming your needle at a much steeper trajectory, really towards the lung. And therefore, it, this could not be a safe procedure were it not guided with the ultrasound. So it kind of goes both ways. On the one hand, you can watch your needle enter the vessel. You have visualization the entire time. And therefore, in principle, it should be extremely safe. However, if you are guiding your needle, but kind of you're not really guiding your needle, and deep down, this is how a lot of people especially who are more novices with vascular access, this is what their ultrasound-guided lines look like. They're sort of seeing the vessel, but they're not really truly visualizing their needle tip the entire time. That is not the person who should be doing this technique because inevitably what happens, if that's what you're doing, is your needle gets ahead of your probe. You are deeper than you realized, and if that's what happens, you're going to hit the lung because the lung is just deep to the vessel. Now you can kind of follow it around and find the spots where it is farthest from the lung, and that is a good idea. Usually if you move either cephalad or down and more laterally, you get a little ways from the lung. It's kind of in the middle where you're closest. 
but still, this is really a, an expert technique. This is not the first uh, line you should be doing or even the full first ultrasound guided line. This is what you do when you're, you're really very comfortable with it. You can get a needle into almost any structure reliably. Then I think it's safe. And there are times when you don't have good visualization. There are times when it's very deep, and that's, again, part of the technical challenge here. Uh, but these are at least things you could see ahead of time. You take a look, you don't like what you see, and then you can do something else. There are also times when factors such as subcutaneous air or pneumothorax make visualization very, very difficult. All things to consider, but overall a good technique. Now, some people like to modify this and use an in-plane or longitudinal view of their needle. What they like is that it mitigates that issue of overshooting your ultrasound plane. You can watch the needle the entire time and follow it down to the vessel. This is really a microcosm of the whole debate of in versus out of plane approaches to needle guidance. If you like following your needle in plane, then you may like it here, and it's probably one of the, the better options for that technique versus some other uh, sites and vessels which tend to be more torturous or tricky. So it does work. Um, it's just the same issue as always, that you should be comfortable with whatever technique you use. If you're not used to doing an in-plane view, this might not be the time to bust it out because it has its own challenges uh, and its own ways of getting it wrong. Yes, you may be able to see your needle more easily, uh, but you can also lose sight of your needle more easily. You can shift and end up looking at the wrong vessel. It's something you have to learn. So get good at one or the other and uh, you know, don't experiment here. Moving into somewhat more esoteric approaches, you can do a supraclavicular approach to this vessel. This is where instead of moving under the clavicle, you flip it around, you come in from the head side, and you kind of angle up under the clavicle from the supraclavicular fossa. You can do this from the left or the right. This is essentially always gonna be done in plane because there's just no room to fit a probe in in the other axis. Uh, some people who like this say really the way to do it is you need a smaller footprint probe. And for a, a high-frequency probe, what you're going to need is uh, an endocavitary probe, such as used for transvaginal ultrasounds, because that has high frequency, but it has a very small footprint, which really kind of nestles into that supraclavicular fossa. I don't have one of those and nearly never had access to one, uh, but in some patients, you will be able to get a nice view of the vessel by just nestling your linear probe flat against that supraclavicular fossa, pressing it in a little bit, maybe angling upwards. A lot of this depends on the anatomy. Some people, it just does not work out very well, uh, but in many, you're able to get a view. And really where you're hitting is around where the IJ and the subclavian uh, come together. And th this kind of raises the point that if you do very low IJs or if you do a supraclavicular approach to the subclavian vein, these are very similar lines. I mean, you're entering a confluence of vessels extremely close to the same point, whether you come in from one angle or the other. However, it is certainly technically a little bit stranger than the infraclavicular approaches, which makes many people ask, why would I do this? And perhaps you shouldn't. It's a bit of a niche technique. People who like it say, in quite obese patients, you may have a, a shorter distance to the vessel. There's usually a little bit of supraclavicular sparing 
of adipose tissue. There's usually not quite so much thickness here compared to over the pectorals, which may be true. Other than that, I think it's mostly just having an additional tool in your toolbox for sort of corner cases. I find it sometimes difficult to recognize which vessel is which without really kind of thinking about your anatomy and perhaps the use of some Doppler. The final approach, which is probably the most esoteric, um, but I actually came across online, this is using a infraclavicular approach with the ultrasound in plane. And again, it's nice if you have a smaller footprint probe, but you can use the linear probe. And you're going to be targeting the vessel in about the same spot as you would have with a landmark technique. And you say, but you can't do that because you can't see it with your ultrasound beam. Sure, but instead of coming in from the top, you're going to angle up underneath the clavicle. You're going to nestle your probe really flat to the skin, really lay it down, sort of as if you were using a, a subxiphoid approach to echo. And you're going to press down up and under, kind of getting as close as you can to a, a coronal plane. And if you're able to get enough depth here and angulation, you will be able to catch a view of that subclavian vein and guide your needle in using an in-plane view. And it will end up looking like you used a blind technique, but in fact, it's under guidance. I find this sometimes works. It really depends on the anatomy. It depends on how much you're able to get kind of tissue compression and squish your probe and your view under that clavicle. Some people, there's just no room there. You can't get there. Uh, in some cases, you can, and I'm sure it also depends on where the vessel is riding. It's something to play around with, and I think really the way to go about this, if you're into subclavians, is to have some faculty with a variety of techniques. So in specific situations, you have something to fall back on, but at the same time to really master one. My comfort zone is doing lateral kind of axillary lines out of plane with the ultrasound, but I have done and can do all of the techniques listed and there are times when busting one of those out makes sense, even with the sort of penalty that I'm not as good at it because I don't do it as often. But you have to experiment to figure out what you like and what works for you, so go forth and do that. I will just end with the caveat that all of these ultrasound-guided techniques, again, should not be the first line, the first five or perhaps ten ultrasound-guided lines you perform. These are things to do when you've done many central lines, many ultrasound-guided percutaneous procedures of other types. You really truly feel like almost all the time when you're guiding a needle tip using the ultrasound, you are really guiding it. You know where it is 100% of the time, and you can follow it in step by tiny step into any structure. If you are frequently finding that you kind of get lost and you still end up there, it sort of works out you're not ready for this. <laughs> because if you lose track of your needle, you're gonna hit a lung. And then everyone's gonna go, hey, why are you doing subclavians? What are you, some kind of wildcat? And then you scotch the whole idea for the rest of us who love this line. Talk to you next time.